the digital transformation of communication by Graham Brown. This is the Be More Human podcast. So what is digital transformation anyway? And why communication? And why has this got to do with being more human? Well, if you read my human communication playbook, you realize that one of the biggest disruptions we're facing right now is the fourth industrial revolution. So if you take all these seemingly unconnected dots and draw a line between them, in fact, you have one macro meta shift, the digital transformation of communication, the fourth industrial revolution, work from home. These are not coincidences. These are all one of the same help me explain to you this idea. I'll use the idea of work from home. Now, work from home is something that we've all had to deal with. We're all coping. We're all learning how to work from home right now. Interestingly, work from home is not a an operational challenge. It's a communication challenge. If you think about it, that a lot of what the office stood for was this geographical, physical grouping of people in one place. And that had certain benefits to the organization. There were benefits, for example, of having one switchboard. You know, in the old days, you'd phone up the receptionist and get patched through to the right extension. I remember in my old days, in my previous life, I used to sell life assurance and pensions over the phone. And in the old days, the late 90s, I used to pick up the phone and phone random people, literally random people in the phone book and ask them if they wanted to buy life assurance or pensions. Back then, in the 90s, before the internet, before mass connectivity that we have now, you could phone somebody and they would come and meet you. They would come and meet you and you could sell them a life assurance product, some life product or a pension, a maximum investment plan. Those days are over. But back then you could do that. And I used to make these phone calls. I, I remember my boss used to say to me, look, you know, you can be your own boss working for this company. And that was a joke because they got everybody on this idea that you could be self-employed working for this company. But actually, you couldn't. And he said, like, you know, you can come in anytime you want, as long as it's before 8.30 in the morning. And they would make you make 100 phone calls a day. And if you didn't make 100 phone calls a day, they would duct tape the phone to your head. And as, as a lesson, you know, these are the kind of cultures, these sort of very macho boiler room style cultures that hopefully are things of the past. But that's where I learned my, was my introduction really to sales. Because, you know, there is no way to get better at sales than just to constantly face rejection. Phone people up in the phone book and people will tell you to F off, go away, slam the phone down with you. And you just have to plow through. Anybody who's learned sales will know what I'm talking about, whether it's knocking on doors or pitching, you've got to go through the rejection. And one of the things I learned back then was that if you wanted to be successful at this game, you had to put in more work than the next guy. And for me, that meant six o'clock when all the other sales guys were going home. 
I would get on the phone and make phone calls to random office numbers in London. And the reason why was because everybody was going home. The whole world was going home or they were going down the pub for an after work drink. But I decided that I was going to phone all these switchboards in the days of voicemail. And the reason why is because you could take a number, let's say you just start with any number like Shell, one of the big companies that you could find in London and you would phone up the number and it'd be like an 0207 800 100, something like that. And you could work it out. If you phoned up 0208 700 100, you could work out that 101 was the first voicemail. So if you phoned the first number and wrote 101 and it would go, boop, Graham Brown is not available. Please leave a message after the tone. You wouldn't leave a message, but you would note down 101, Graham Brown. And then you'd go 102, boop, and you would get the number of that person. 103, boop. And then you could spend all evening just working through a company directory. And effectively, what you've done is lead sourcing. You could have hundreds of names of people and their addresses, their effective phone numbers, like the email addresses of the day, and their full names. That was called prospecting back in the day, and it worked. That's how it was back then. That's how it was organized back then. Because it made sense to put everybody in one place, one office. Of course, you can't do this now. It's very distributed and decentralized. But back then, it was economically viable to put everybody under one roof because they would share that switchboard and they would share the secretary and they would share the photocopying and they would share the coffee machine. There was a functional benefit in pooling all these resources in what is effectively a silo for no more. Because you look at the market. If you think about business as fundamentally solving two problems, one problem is innovation. And the second problem is communication. Innovation. How do we solve this problem? Communication. How do we then take that to the market and to partners and to our ecosystem? Innovation. You know, innovation is no longer a department. Innovation is no longer a job title. Innovation is everybody's business. And it's the same now with communication. This is the digital transformation of communication. Communication is no longer a department. Communication is no longer a job title. Communication is everybody's business. And if you look at that problem that business exists to solve, the open market is now better at solving it than the company department. Just take case in point, innovation. And getting from A to B in the old days, you would need a department. You would need a company to do that. But now I can get from A to B by hailing a cab. The open market is now better at solving problems than the company department. This is the decentralization of communication. And all those exogenous shocks to the system that I've talked about, work from home, the pandemic, 
the Industrial Revolution, number four, all of that, including the Asian century and the shift to artificial intelligence. These are all macro trends which are expediting the need for a digitally transformed communication. And what that means is, look around us. There is a fundamental disruption in the supply chain of trust. Look at the news. Fake news. Doxing. Face-tuning. Auto-tuning. Everything is filtered and fake. We don't shake hands like we used to. We live now in a post-handshake economy. So what are those emotional signposts, the emotional handshakes that we need to communicate with trust? Because the supply chain of trust is fundamentally disrupted. What is happening now is the shift in the fourth industrial revolution is a rapid increase in the supply of algorithms. Now, what that means is you could be communicating with customer support and customer support could be a chatbot, a very clever chatbot. Sometimes you don't even know. It's so good, you don't even know if that's a chatbot. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes human beings behave like chatbots. Sometimes chatbots behave like human beings. We don't know. That's the Turing test. The Turing test being the test of whether something is actually intelligent. And the Turing test says that if we are unable to discern between what is effectively a bot and a human being, then we have to conclude that the bot is intelligent. There is no ground zero in defining intelligence. There is no consciousness. There is no mark or moniker inside the brain that you can say that that organism. That thing is intelligent. All we have is how they behave. And if they behave like an intelligent being, and we can't distinguish whether or not they are intelligent by the fact that they are a real human being or intelligent by the fact that they are a bot, we have to assume that they are intelligent. And interestingly, there is the reverse Turing test, which is where we can't actually work out whether a human being is a bot or not. And that is most customer service now. So what does this mean? The supply chain of algorithms means for us it's becoming increasingly hard to discern whether something or not is human. And that is fundamentally an issue for us because that is the supply chain of trust around which traditional communications was built because a lot of traditional communications was built on a pipeline and trust and offline and handshakes. We're talking about company breakfasts, offline events. We're talking about existing offline relationships, but all of that has been fundamentally disrupted. On top of that, you have this increasing supply chain, sorry, this supply, this exponential curve of algorithms increasing, where we don't know if that is a human being or not. Can we trust it or not? That is why we are moving from the age of the industrial model built on efficiency to a new model. And that new model is the age of authenticity. We have reached and passed peak efficiency and now entering the age of 
authenticity, where the gains in being more efficient are diminishing compared to the gains in being more authentic. Why now do leaders have to take upon themselves to be more vulnerable, to be more human, to be more authentic? We value all of those because what they're doing is showing that they are not a machine. When the email comes from the CEO about the crisis, does it come from the CEO or does it come from Love Tony as is the case from the CEO of Air Asia, which is more human, which is more forgivable, which is more authentic. And this is the digital transformation of communication. The problem is the disrupted supply chain of trust caused by two macro factors. On the one hand, the fourth industrial revolution, and on the other the pandemic, and it's happening at speed. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, said that they experienced two years of transformation in just two months, 12 times the speed of normal business pre-COVID. But that's how it is. The speed of change has got a lot faster. So, what is the digital transformation of communication? We have to first understand that digital transformation and digitalization are not one of the same. They are very different. So let me explain. Digitalization is a management challenge. Digitalization is about using digital to yield efficiency gains. Digitalization is optimization and customization. Digitalization is choice of tools. Digitalization is training. And digitalization is about working towards existing goals. Digital transformation, on the other hand, is not a management challenge. Digital transformation is a leadership challenge. Digital transformation is about building a parallel business. I was in a conference just yesterday where I saw how Aviva, one of the world's largest insurance companies, has addressed the digital transformation challenge not by creating change within the organization, but by creating change without. What I mean by that is look at the golf club. The golf club is made of titanium, one of the strongest materials and yet most flexible materials known to man. Now, a golf club is very good at hitting golf balls, but it's not very good at putting up shelves. You couldn't use a golf club to hammer in shelves in your house. If you want to do that, if you want to put up shelving, take a hammer. And that may be a titanium hammer. It's the same material, but a different form, different results. So that is the point that innovation is a function, not of strategy, but of form, structure. If we want to innovate better, we can't come up with a better strategy. We have to change the form, the shape of who we are to innovate better. And the same challenge is laid at our feet with communication. We can't approach the communication cha challenge with 
a hammer and expect to be hitting golf balls with it. As they say, if the only tool in your kit is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Digital transformation is about building a platform, a parallel platform. It's about the move from pipeline to platform. That is the changing shape of business. The word transformation, trans change, form, shape. Digital transformation is the changing shape of business caused by digital. And we have to start with that end in mind. And that's why digital transformation is a leadership challenge. Because it's about taking people to the promised land. The promised land being what lies over the threshold or the river. That's a leadership challenge. It's a necessary pain that must be experienced. It's a path. It's a journey. It's a story. That's how people talk about digital transformation. They don't talk about it as a strategy. Because when you talk about it in the context of a path, a journey, a story, you understand that it requires a crossing of the threshold, the crossing of the river from the world of comfort into the world of the unknown. There will be resistance. There will be people who will not want to cross. And that's why it's not a management challenge. It's a leadership challenge. And it's continuous. There isn't just one crossing of the river and you're done. Look at Singapore, for example. Singapore, 55 years ago, departed from Malaysia and everybody said it's going to be a disaster because Singapore is a tiny little red dot with no natural resources, not enough people and not enough to defend itself. And yet what happened was an economic miracle, 55 years of growth because Singapore first decided to cross the threshold. It took leadership of people like Lee Kuan Yew to take people across, to accept there would be resistance, to accept there would be pain and sacrifices that need to be made. But it didn't stop there. It wasn't 55 years ago and done. Digital transformation is like all journeys, an ongoing struggle an ongoing evolution. Singapore used to make MP3 players and hard drives. It can't do that anymore. There was a decision taken in the 90s to shift from electronic manufacturing to services. These are the manifestations of constant transformation. Transformation at the level of culture, structure, and model. That is the hammer becoming the golf club. A key part of digital transformation, and a lot of people are talking about it now, is the mindsets that we need to cope. What do we need? How do we do it? And who do we have to build? Everybody's talking about agile and being dynamic and resilient. You can't go to an event these days without hearing these words. But really, who is actually putting these into place when it comes down to one of the most fundamental challenges that we face in business today, communication? What do they mean when they say agile communication? What do they mean when they say 
dynamic? What did they mean when they say adaptable, resilient? Humanizing your brand is about that. Humanizing your brand is the response to the need created by the problem of the fourth industrial revolution, the supply of algorithms, the machine era, the pandemic. Humanizing your brand means building the storytelling organization because people follow people, not brands. We can see that. You can see LinkedIn. There are plenty of case study case study well i mean listen to the previous podcasts of mine case study evidence of people following people not brands and therefore we as organizations need to unlock that human potential within our brand in fact i believe brand branding will soon die what i mean by that is brands will become storytelling organizations Brands are inhuman. Brands are efficient. Brands are managed brand management. Brands are managed by agencies. The future doesn't lie in brands. The future lies in human beings. The, f- the future is not centralized and monolithic. It's not one brand story. It's not a template. The future is a story or storytelling organization that is pluralistic, that is diverse, that is decentralized, that is authentic. You know, the world of brands is a world of campaigns. The future is a world of conversations. We need leadership. We need leadership to take us not to where we need to go, not to where it is comfortable, but where Sorry, we need leadership not to where... Let me start again. We need leadership not to take us where we want to go, but where we need to go. Not to where it's comfortable, but where the most effective model lies. And really, the digital transformation of communication is crossing the threshold from a world of brands, pipelines, efficiency, to a world of storytelling organizations, platforms, and authenticity. I believe this is the pathway to unlock the intangible assets every organization has, its people and its conversations. This will do for organizations and communication what Airbnb or all the platforms, whether they are ride-sharing platforms or any distributed marketplace, does by unlocking those underutilized fixed assets lying dormant within every organization. Take a look at any organization today. The most valuable part of that organization is the leaders. And yet the least scalable part of those organizations is the leaders. Leaders don't scale, but leadership conversations do. So creating conversations at scale means unlocking the underutilized fixed assets of every organization, unlocking the conversations. So when we talk about unlocking human potential, we're talking about building an organization that tells stories at multiple levels, not just this one single monolithic pipeline that is controlled, but a platform that is pluralistic and many to many. There are many ways we can do this. 
I believe the future lies in increasing two vectors in the organization. Vector number one, emotion. Vector number two, leadership. Just take emotion, for example. There are two elements to emotion that we as leaders need to focus on. One, user storytelling. Understanding your pain, leaning into the pain of the user, going upstream in development to understand what the problem is. This is about the move from functional to customer competence. You know, the, you look at, for example, banking right now. Now, the winner of banking in future might not be a bank. It may be an e-commerce platform. It may be a taxi company. It may be an airline. And isn't that scary? That's very scary for any incumbents right now. Look at automotive. Who is filing for the most automotive applications patent-wise right now? Patents. Let me read out some numbers for you. General Motors filed 1,212 patent applications last year. As you would expect, these are automotive patent applications. However, LG, a non-automotive company, filed 810 automotive applications. Baidu, the Chinese search company, filed 762 automotive patent applications. And Google who we all know has nothing to do with automotive except through Waymo, filed 365 automotive patent applications, meaning that the competition that you expect will come in your radar in the next two to five years won't walk, talk, or look anything like you've ever seen before. This is the asymmetrical competitive landscape, the hyper-competition, where it's competition, but not as we know it. And that's the point. When you go back to banking, it won't be the bank that has the most retail branches that wins. It will be the company that solves the most customer problems. And that could be an airline, a search company, or even a ride-sharing platform. Because once you can get people from A to B and collect data C along the way, you can use that for a whole lot of different things. Think, for example, about the original Pony Express, you know, that delivery driver that set off from East Coast America all the way out to the West Coast in the old days before the American Civil War in 1865. These pony riders who, if you look at the adverts for them at the time, were they were advertising for orphans. And there was a reason for that. The reason they wanted orphans to do Pony Express deliveries, logistics in the early days, logistics 1.0, was because a lot of them got killed in the process. They got ambushed. But somebody solved that problem. And that somebody was Wells Fargo. And Wells Fargo came along and built a map and started collecting data about getting people from A to B. The data C that they collected about Pony Express deliveries help people understand where the problems were, where you were likely to get killed, where you were likely to get mugged, where, you know, sometimes the delivery drivers just absconded. Using that data, they became a successful logistics company.
And that helped them transform. Wells Fargo became one of the biggest banks in America, valued at over $200 billion. It started out delivery. The same with Netflix. Netflix started out delivering DVDs. And they realized that actually the biggest problem with mail order DVDs is mail order. And that wasn't very good because it turned a good experience about watching movies into a negative experience that late finds the post office, which they couldn't control. So they said, okay, let's build a parallel platform for our business. This is the transformation journey. Let's lean into the pain, understand, go upstream. What is the problem that we're trying to solve? We're trying to create a good experience, but we have this problem. So they use data to solve the problem. They built an online streaming service, $200 billion later, they're now one of the world's largest entertainment companies. That is the shift from functional to customer competence. The second part of emotion is data storytelling. That is the datification of business problems. That is how we communicate. So understand the problem of the customer through customer storytelling, user storytelling. Now we have to communicate change. We have to communicate that not through data, but through emotion, data, emotion, action. Because data is not the new oil, folks. If data was the new oil, we would have addressed climate change in the late 19th century when we first got data about it. When a Swedish scientist called Sven Arrhenius revealed to the world through data and research that global warming was a thing caused by fossil fuels. 1890-something. 1892, maybe. Point being, it's well over 100 years ago. And in fact, if you go into Google, there are 1.1 billion search results for climate change, meaning we have all the data that we want. Data is not the new oil. Data is only as good as the stories that we can tell about the data. When Trump wanted to ban TikTok, he wasn't banning the company for the data. He was banning the company because he was afraid of what they could do with the data. And what they could do with the data is they had the attention of people. Attention is the most valuable commodity today. Attention is your biggest cost. Just look at that word attention. It comes from the Latin tendere, which means to stretch like a tendon. Attention is stretched. The average person unlocks their phone 110 times, 110 times in a day. This isn't the digital economy. This is the fidgetal economy. We're distract, distracted. We are drawn or stretched all over the place. The fidgetal world that we exist in. Data is not the new oil. Attention is the new oil. Attention is the new currency of leadership. So when Greta Thunberg stood before United Nations and delivered the address, yes, she used data, but she told a better story to get the world's attention. She got the world's attention through emotion. That famous speech, you have stolen my dreams. That was the speech that captured the world's attention. And because she has the world's attention, she has the most valuable commodity. Attention is the new currency of leadership. 
So in the second vector of digital transformation, the changes we need to make lie in the vector of leadership. Leadership being vulnerability and imperfection. Vulnerability, authentic leadership. Leaders dare to be vulnerable. It's about who we are. It's about having the laundry behind you in shot whilst you're doing the video call. It's about conversations that matter with people that matter. It's that everybody knows 150 people and 150 people know 150 people authentically. It's optimal, not perfect. It's saying, I don't know, but maybe somebody I do, do, do know does. Imperfection, agile storytelling. That's the many-to-many model. That's the difference between leaders and leadership. Leadership is not a job title. Leadership is born of the attention that you gain. And that's why organizations can give people guardrails and green lights to scale leadership in two ways. Give them the guardrails and green lights to tell stories. They don't have to tell the monolithic templated brand narrative. The era of official is over. What they can do is give people key talking points, meta messages. This is what we're about. What they can also do is scale leadership horizontally which is to empower people across the organization by giving their people a voice. That is the digital transformation of communication. Really, it answers the question of who are we and what is the shape of the business that we need to become. In the Human Communication Playbook, I talk about the three-box transformation, which is a powerful tool to communicate change, not digitalization, which is about the choice of technology. Digital transformation is the choice of mindset. Past, how do we get here? Present, what are the problems that we face now? How do we make change without betting the house on a new platform? How do we protect the core revenues? Future, what is the shape of the business that we need to become? That is digital transformation. And I believe that as much as the conversation of digital transformation is about innovation, the next wave of digital transformation is about communication. 